Okay, everybody, uh, welcome back to The Hard Sell. I'm your host, Joel Stevenson. And here on The Hard Sell, we recognize that selling is hard. So we're trying to bring you the leading experts in sales to, to make selling just a little bit easier for you. Um, and today we have another one of those experts. Uh, Phil Harrell has sort of a long and storied career in, in sales and sales leadership. A great run at at Akamai back in the heyday there, sometime at, at HubSpot. And then uh, where I think you and I met was you were running the chief sales officer practice at Serious Decisions uh, for a number of years. That company was then acquired by Forrester and you sort of carried on uh, the torch to Forrester um, and somehow also found time to be an investor and a podcaster. Uh, but I guess, I don't know, you just really missed having a quota. Um, and so now you are a CRO at, uh, at JW Player. So uh, Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Yeah, excited to have a chance to uh, chat with you. It's good to reconnect. Yeah, great. Maybe um, just for the uh, just for the for the folks that maybe aren't as familiar with with JW Player, just as they've got some context for what you're doing right now, maybe just give us a kind of a brief soundbite of uh, of JW Player. Yeah, great. We're yeah, JW Player. We help companies monetize their video. So uh, companies that leverage us, or publishers, or broadcasters, or uh, companies that have online courses and they're using video. Uh, they want a very good video experience for their customers. And just as importantly, they want to figure out ways to monetize that video through uh, advertising, for example, or through subscription. Uh, and so they use our tools to help them make sure that their, their video is high quality and that they can monetize those videos for their clients. So really excited about the potential here. Amazing uh, how many clients we have. Over a billion people use our player uh, every month. So we have broad distribution, which means we have enormous amounts of data that we can use to help our publisher and broadcast and our uh, online course customers really understand their customers and monetize their content. Yeah, video is certainly exploding. I, you know, I have a few friends in the space, and uh, it's uh, it's it's quite a renaissance because you know, even JW isn't that like that's it, been around for a while, right? Yes, it has. Good memory. Yeah, we started as a um, we had an open source uh, player that uh, people could use. And then um, we started to build tools on top of that. Many people actually still think of us as player. Our name is JW Player. Mm -hmm. uh, so after the initials of our founder, uh, one of our founders, and now we've expanded beyond that. We have tools, not just a player, but we have tools that are video infrastructure. So encoding, for example. So we're a platform that allows companies to build, uh, to leverage our tools, to be able to soup to nuts, do everything they need to do with making their videos work uh, uh, for their websites, for example. And increasingly, we're getting a lot of interest from companies that want to do OTT and fast mm -hmm. channels, for example, mm -hmm. are coming to us because they want to expand their distribution beyond just the web onto people's TVs, onto their mobile phones, onto fast channels. So we see enormous uh, potential. But uh, yeah, we're a lot more than just a player uh, company now. Yeah, it's neat. It, it's, it's sort of, it's been a neat story to watch. And maybe just getting back to, to your story a little bit. So um, yeah, you, you and I met when, when you were running the, the CSO practice at Serious Decisions. So you'd went, went from an operator to sort of an analyst, you know, consultant, coach, uh, et cetera. And now you're, you're back in the operator role again. And I'm curious, we were talking about this a little bit before we started, but um, you know, what, what it was sort of being, uh, an advisor to to CSOs and CROs now sort of being one yourself again, like how has that kind of ch changed your view of the, of the role? Great question. I, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I was uh, my my 
thought process at the time was to take a step out of the operating role, the everyday hectic pressure, uh, very tactically uh, focused on execution. And I thought by going to a company like Serious Decisions, which had a fantastic reputation for helping uh, B2B uh, leaders uh, do a better job of managing their function, like marketing and sales and product, I thought I would learn a lot, uh, that I would both help my clients because I'd had some good experience at Akamai and been fortunate to be there during its heyday and at HubSpot and many other companies, Pegasystems, which were well run. But I thought I, I needed to learn more and become a better learner and problem solver. And I thought by coming to uh, Serious Decisions, I could work on those to make me more valuable. Uh, after five to seven years, that was my plan, to be more valuable to uh, coming back into an operating role. And we were fortunate to be acquired by Forrester three years uh, after I got there. Uh, I was fortunate to be asked to run the whole sales research group. So not just um, the chief sales officer strategies practice, but the sales operations, the channel sales, the sales enablement practices as well. And that was an amazing experience, uh, partly because I had such talented group of analysts, all were experts in their respective sub-function or functions. And so uh, I was able to, we were able to put together some really good models and models that helped empower our clients to solve their own problems. And, and through doing that, through teaching, everybody knows who has taught before, you actually learn a lot uh, through the process of teaching. We were paid to learn and then teach our clients uh, how to put in practice, into practice a lot of those best practices that we were espousing. So phenomenal experience. Uh, and I did that for six total of six years. So three years at Forrester, a great company, both Forrester and Serious Decisions. And uh, it was just, I was excited and itching to, to take some of that learning and go apply it again to see uh, what it was like to be back in there with some of the stuff I was teaching my clients. And uh, that was the rationale I used to come back and be a chief revenue officer. And I think I'm very fortunate to have had that experience. I recommend that experience to people on this call that have an interest in that. I think everyone would benefit from spending five to seven years in an operating role and then taking five years and going into an analyst role and being able to study the function and come back uh, because I think there's just tremendous learning. So excited to put those principles that I've taught others into practice and, and see hopefully that they work and that they have a tremendous impact, but uh, very, very uh, feel real good about the experience I had and, and what it's uh, helped me do and hopefully what I'll help JW do based on what I learned. Yeah, you got to put your money where your mouth is. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good test. I like that. What do you, so the, so you, yeah, you had about a five to seven year break in there. And so if you were to look at maybe the CRO role of, you know, kind of like 2010 versus like the CRO role of, of 2022, like, how do you, how do you think it's changed? Like, what, what do you, like, what, what maybe, you know, skills or, uh, or, or like, or what, what do people really need to be to, to maybe that might be different now to be really successful in it versus, you know, great, a while back? Great question, Joel. I think, well, first of all, I think there are a lot more chief revenue officer roles now than there used to be. And I think mm -hmm. we'll continue to see that trend. So at JW Player, I lead sales, marketing, customer success, and partnerships. I know that chief revenue officer role is used in many different ways. Mm -hmm. That's yep. the true way it should be used, which is some one person that manages the entire go-to-market function from end to end. I think we'll see more of that. We should see more of that. There have been such struggles with alignment between sales and marketing for so many years, as you're familiar with and I'm familiar with. And I think you need one person that oversees the all the revenue to bring that those functions together to work harmoniously and collaboratively in providing that best-in-class customer experience. So I think one is you're just going to see more of those roles uh, beyond what you saw in 2010. I think what's really important now is the chief revenue officer role has to be about architecting revenue generation. So it's so it's you know your your ability as a chief revenue officer to think about 
how am I going to put in place foundationally the processes that are critical from end to end that will allow a buyer to interact with a website and then navigate through to interacting with an SDR and then a sales rep and being onboarded through customer success and then buying more. Someone has to think about how to architect that, ensure that the processes are well-defined and that they're governed and executed against uh, as a crucial step. And so someone has to also think about the systems that then are purchased on uh, technologies that are invested in to automate those processes, to accelerate those processes, which is, which is a really critical step. And then think about the data that is put together in the reporting and the analytics that are brought to bear to help analyze that business and the KPIs to say, is that business on the right track? So I think 10 years ago, 12 years ago, if you were a chief revenue officer and you could walk into a board meeting and say, I've made the number and uh, uh, so there you go and they ask questions, you could probably brush them off and just as long as you made the number, you were fine. I think what's clearly changed is now with subscription models, boards are more interested to understand from the chief revenue officer's perspective does this chief revenue officer uh, have an understanding of how they got to that number? Have they architected their system to be repeatable and predictable and scalable? And so if you are a chief revenue officer out there and you're making your number, but you're doing it by last minute dive in catches or uh, just big deals you're bringing in a quarter and you really don't understand the inputs that are leading to that success, uh, I think you're, you're putting yourself at risk because boards increasingly wanna see that you actually understand how you got to that number. So the chief revenue officer to me is more becoming more like a chief operating officer, really has to understand how everything connects and drive execution based on a very tight interconnection between processes and systems and data and people, of course, but not just relying solely on people to, to get there. And I think that's been a big change. Yeah, that that's well said. I, about one of the things that I see just from some of the the personalities that that you know we interact with is uh, Yesware. We, you know, we've got a bunch of sales leaders that are you know our customers of Yesware, and uh, I've seen a change from like when I first started in sales. It's sort of that you know the ERP like the person that's running sales is basically the person that's the best at closing the big deals. And, you know, the bigger the deal, the higher it sort of goes up on the food chain. And what I see more and more of now is just, as you said, like more analytical folks that sort of understand that that they've got to set up the machine more so than they've got to be, you know, be able to walk into, you know, uh, the the buying committee at GM and get a deal done at the the last minute. That seems to be a, a very different uh, very different. I think, as you rightly say, like the subscription notion of that is like a real driver. Yeah, because they want to know that it's repeatable because that's what people are, investors are valuing, right? Investors are valuing a very uh, predictable revenue stream. And so that's what boards are going to want to see, that they have comfort knowing that the CRO has architected something that is predictable. And I think for those CROs out there, they're, I think historically sales is has not been really a science. It's been more populated with people that really probably are more art-based and more comfortable with interpersonal skills, uh, which is fine, which is good. But I think um, if you're a chief revenue officer or a VP of sales looking to become a chief revenue officer, then you, and you feel like you're not a process person or you're not a data, a deep data person, you have to understand or at least appreciate the importance of process, the importance of technology, the importance of data. And you need to surround yourself with a very strong VP of revenue operations person who has that competence, has had those competencies. So they can help you if you say the vision is to do these things, that they can do those things in terms of be able to map out those processes, ensure those are architected, ensure that the right systems are in place and that the right data. So, so I think um, you know the bar has been raised for chief revenue officers. And I think uh, everyone should examine themselves and say, where am I strong? Where do I lean one way or the other? And surround yourself and make sure you have a very strong operations team 
to compliment you in the areas that maybe you're not as interested in or not as comfortable around, but you have to have an appreciation for and put in place those things if you're going to be successful going forward. Yeah, let's talk about the operations team a little bit, because I feel like one of the things that serious decisions really nailed was the the sales and marketing intersection. And I don't know if to what extent Sirius is responsible for the rise of RevOps, but in my mind, I, those two things are somewhat synonymous. I think you guys did a really good job trying to uh, uh, sort of proselytize that idea of like, you know, you, you can't separate these, these things out. It doesn't work that way anymore. Um, and so maybe talk about um, RevOps as a, as a function and, you know, are, are, are you seeing, like, do you think that's the right way to set it up now versus like sales operations and marketing operations? Just sort of like, if you're going to have, you know, one CRO that oversees everything, then the, the ops organization should also be um, you know, sort of uh, integrated, if you will. Yes, I do think that's the right way to set it up. In fact, I'm uh, hiring for that position of VP of RevOps or DW player right now. So okay, there anybody you go. on this call knows anybody, here's a quick shout out, give me, uh, send me their details. Um, I do think it's something that Sears decisions really help proselytize and how Forrester is as well. And I think it is very important. I think the idea is that RevOps needs to become a strategic, proactive part of the revenue engine, as opposed to sales ops being very historically have been a tactical reactive part of the organization where it's a dumping ground for mm -hmm. can't figure out what to do with this inquiry or this request. Let's give it over to sales ops. They'll take care of it. And I think that that needs to change where RevOps is looked at as a key driver in setting up the revenue engine to ensure that predictability that I talked about, that scalability, that, that repeatability, um, and ensuring that sales productivity continues to go up. So improving the effectiveness and efficiency uh, of the sales organization. And ultimately that measure is sales productivity. Is it improving or not? And um, I think organizations and sales organizations um, have a lot of work to do, revenue organizations really do in terms of making it easy for sellers to sell, making it easy for buyers to buy. And uh, revenue operations is to me the critical part of that system to uh, make sure those things are happening. Yeah, there's certainly been an evolution in that function. I mean, you know, the I think of like the very cynical way of thinking of sales operations years ago was like they were like the dedupers of Salesforce. Yeah. Like that, that was their mission in life was let's make sure the CRM is clean and uh, you know, the thing things sort of operate. But now there's there's so much data that's available that's generated either from marketing systems or sales systems that you could take a much more strategic point of view about you know, how you're going to actually achieve better results in your funnel versus the, you know, kind of the old way of like, well, just keep, you know, you're like a glorified CRM admin or something. Yeah, exactly. And let's talk about that data for a moment, because I think you make a great point, Joel, and data has silos too. So not just uh, does, do we have sales function as a silo and marketing as a function as a silo and, see, and uh, customer success and having a CRO helps bring those together. That should be the CRO's role, but that's the same thing with revenue operations as well, that you've had data historically that has been has existed in silos within sales and marketing. So each function has relied on their own set of data, uh, which doesn't always match up to tell them whether or not decisions. And one of the key parts of being a VP of revenue operations is to break down those silos and ensure that you have clean data uh, that's being shared across all those different functions and beyond revenue engine too, not just within sales, marketing, customer success and partnerships, but with product as well, uh, with engineering, with all parts of the finance, for example. But, but you need that, that function that will help break those walls down, ensure that those systems are integrated tightly together and that data is flowing bi-directionally and that there's one source of truth because you cannot run a modern 
revenue organization without really good data. And the exciting thing, and Forrester, we talked about this, and I know they're out there talking a lot about this, and they've got some really exciting data on this, is my former team, you know, they, they we did research on the fact that so much of interactions between buyers now are done digitally. If you think about when we all started in sales, at least when I started in sales, I'll date myself in the early 90s, most of it wasn't digital, it was analog. So you couldn't capture those interactions. Now, so much of what buyers do is digital. So much of the interaction they have with sellers, if you're on a Zoom like we are, or on a WebEx, or you're sending emails, or you're you know, calendaring, those are all digital interactions that you can capture. And from that, derive insights that allow you to understand what are buyers doing? What are the signals they're dropping off in terms of their interest level? What are your sellers doing? And how are those two interplaying with each other? So great companies will be able to leverage that data in meaningful ways to help them understand how to serve their buyers better and how to help their sellers serve their buyers better. And what are the things the sellers that are succeeding doing that are different from the buyers and from the sellers who aren't? So it's a huge change. So that data piece is foundational. So as a CRO, you have to make sure that you've installed people or invested in the people that, will, that can give you that data and generate the insights that are required to run your organization. If you don't have that, you're going to struggle to succeed in today's world. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have this sort of, uh, I don't know if it's contrary, maybe I'll call it a provocative point of view that all of the current CRM systems that are popular today basically grew up in an in-person first selling world. And they're all fl fatally flawed as a result of that. And so like one, you know, we sort of have our way uh, over time. I think we, we sort of feel like there's a there's a different approach to CRM um, for sort of remote first, digital first organizations. In a world where all interactions are knowable, you would build a different type of system than in a world when you, know, you need the rep to type in, you know, what just happened in the meeting. So. Yep, That's, that, so that, I, that, I agree with that. There, there's yeah. a, I mean, the, the cool thing about my job too at Forrester, I mean, there were a lot of cool things about the job, but that was another thing that was really cool was we got to, have a front seat on all the different sales technologies because the vendors obviously were interested in pitching my analysts and me about what they're doing and the enhancements to their products. And it's incredible the amount of tools that are out there. Now there's a little bit of buyer fatigue. There's almost too many tools. Yeah. So the key for us sales, their CRO and their VP of ops is to navigate which, which tools to invest in that will actually yield the benefit because there's a lot of overlap and there's confusion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so much exciting. There are so many exciting technologies out there to help um, CROs be able to figure out how to optimize their their organizations, and uh, so I, I agree with that point of view. Yeah, yeah, it, it's an exciting time uh, for, for sure. Now, one thing that maybe is is a little bit less exciting is, um, you know, as we kind of move into the next maybe you know year eighteen months, we're kind of going into a you know place where there's probably going to be you know, less capital deployed in terms of startups, you know, people are going to be probably doing some belt tightening, you know, stagflation, you know, who knows what um, is sort of coming down um, the pipe. But what, what do you think, um, you know, you've you've sort of led through a few different sales environments, like what, what do you think CROs should be focused on to get their companies ready for the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, particularly in tech that might be different than what we saw the last 12 to 18? I think it's really understanding and, and, and really what I've learned in my experience, I've been through two major downturns, 2001 and 2008. Um, and uh, I, I've learned, I've learned that you really, in those downturns, you have to be much more focused on the inputs that lead to success because an environment where everything's going well, the first two and a half years at Akamai from 99 to 2001 were, you know, relatively easy. Everything mm -hmm. was going our way. We thought we 
couldn't do anything wrong. And, you know, we were growing from 4 million to 90 million in my first uh, year, and then went from 90 to 170 million. Uh, and that you're, you're in this heady environment where you're just dead a lot of people. And then, then you get kicked in the teeth and everything goes wrong. Um, and you learn that what's important in those downturns, if you're only celebrating success, which is the outcome of that you're closing deals, uh, which is easy to do on a relative basis because everyone's excited about big deals coming in and everybody's winning and everybody's making money. But then when things go wrong, if you're only focused on the outcome and success and you're not having as much of it because in downturns, it's harder to have success, um, then you're going to have a very demoralized um, organization from a revenue perspective. So what, what I would recommend to chief revenue officers, um, sales leaders out there that are either facing a slowdown or worried about a slowdown is make sure you really understand the inputs that lead to success. So, you know, throughout that funnel, what are the number of calls that need to be made or the emails that need to be sent, the meetings that need to be had, the demos that need to be had, or whatever your breakdown is of the key moments in your process. And that you understand those and track those and you celebrate those because the outcomes in an environment where people are more cautious about their spend is going to make those successes harder. So you want to celebrate the little things every day that your reps and your organization can control and focus on those little things that will give the confidence you're heading in the right direction, will give the comfort that they're succeeding in the little things that eventually will lead to success uh, when success is harder to come by. So I think that's been a great learning for me in my career about times that weren't going as well as it forces you to go back and look very much at the inputs and celebrate those uh, along the way instead of just the, the outcomes. Sort of more, more so like yield of the funnel versus size of the funnel or something like that. Yeah, that you really yeah. understand, you know, because it just gets harder when uh, things go, go wrong. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing probably that CROs should be ready for is just more agility in their planning, right? And thinking about um, being ready to make changes quickly and adapt to changing conditions. I mean, I think what pandemic showed us and uh, probably we're all learning is that it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. Everything is getting more uncertain and things change much faster now. And that means I think from a planning perspective, CROs and any leaders have to be more agile and depth at just making quick changes and not sticking with a plan too long that they already had in place, but really be more iterative in their planning process and adjust as things come up, um, which, is, uh, which can be hard, but in change, there's opportunity too. So it can be looked at in that way. Companies that can figure those things out and make changes quicker and make the right changes quicker uh, are going to have an advantage over the ones that are slow to change or resistant to change or wait too long to make those changes, particularly in times of upheaval like the pandemic and like who knows what's going to happen with the economy, but uncertainty in the economy. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, 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 that's well said. Yeah, I think... Um... Uh, there, there's a, I mean, we is sort of going back to the data point, like we have a lot of data now, like more data now than we've ever had to, to try to make those assessments and improve if people are willing to really take the hard look at it um, and sort of test, iterate, uh, repeat. Um, but one last question, maybe um, before we run out of time here, um, for somebody that's that's maybe earlier in their career in sales and, and says, oh yeah, like, you know, one day I'd like to be a CRO or running a sales organization or something. And I, I, know, I, I know you've got some points of view on this about, you know, also just people being willing to consider sales as a career, you know, coming out of college and stuff. But what, what would you say to somebody that's kind of just starting their career in sales and wants to go into sales leadership someday? 
Well, first of all, I think you made a great choice for anybody who's thinking about going into sales as a great career because it forces you to get in front of customers. And I think every person, I don't care what function they end up in, should have some point in their career should interact with customers, whether that's customer success or sales or having a quota. So I applaud anybody who's thinking about getting into sales or has gotten into sales recently as you've made a great choice. I think the most important thing, obviously, is to perform in the job you have, right? So uh, I think sales is one of the most incredible professions because it is so quantifiable and so clear who's winning and succeeding and who's not. And I think that that's probably why we all got into sales in the first place is because it had some of that, that nature of competitiveness and allowed you to know where you were. So, so I think a key thing is one is really perform in the job you are, you have, and then have an idea of where you want to go. And if you want to be a CRO, think about the competencies that it takes to be our CRO and plot your career in a way that allows you to gain those competencies so that if you, by the time you are in your career for a while and you, you've rounded yourself out, for example, CRO, like I said, has to manage marketing and customer success and partnerships and rev ops and sales. So think about how you can expand your own career and have stints in each of those parts of the organization so that you get that experience um, that allows you to appreciate the importance of marketing and what to do in marketing and the importance of customer success so that by the time you've been in your career and you're ready, you can point to success you've had in those different functions that make you a perfect fit for being a chief revenue officer. So, so I think it's really key is, is perform in the sales role uh, that you've just gotten into, do really well, and then plot out your career map that allows you to get experience in each of the different functions that you'll need to be managing and leading when you become a chief revenue officer. Yeah, listen to Phil on that. Uh, that's that's good advice. Um, so we're, we're out of time. Unfortunately, we probably could talk for hours and hours about this stuff, but uh, appreciate you taking some time out to be on the show. And um, if people want to be in touch or learn more about uh, you know JW Player, what, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'd love to hear from you if you're interested in uh, learning about our uh, online video platform, or if you're interested in potentially joining our organization. We've got lots of open heads because we're growing. Uh, you can reach me at uh, my email address is pharrell, so P-H-A-R-R-E-L-L -L at jwplayer.com. Love to hear from you and, and see if there are ways that uh, we could bring you on board or help you with your, your online video needs. That's great. Um, well, Phil, thanks again, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. All right. Thanks, Joel. Good to catch up with you. Yeah, Thank great. You. Bye. Bye-bye.